Hey, thank you for joining us today. This is Rebecca Tapia, your podcast host. If you're finding any value of this podcast, please do share it and leave a review. And also, nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. And this is not a patient-doctor relationship. It is really just a couple of people sitting around, or maybe just myself, discussing difficult topics related to aging parents. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. Today, we are going to talk to Terry who was the primary caregiver for her father in, her, in his later years. And some interesting aspects we get to talk about. Uh, father had a girlfriend in the picture when she first started living with her dad. Uh, there's a brother who's supportive, but, but not really doing the direct care. There's some decisions about uh, living situations and then some interesting end-of-life observations and lessons learned. So thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get started. Um, okay, perfect. Okay. Um, well, and uh, and you're at home right now, right? Am I yes, I work up against anything? Yeah. Perfect. Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, so how much uh, did Jalen tell you about this? I want to make sure that you know what you're getting into. <laughs> So I understand that you have left your profession as a physician to take on this new venture of, you, I, I guess you should tell me more about how you're framing it up. Your sure. Um, so I'm uh, moving to more of a part-time clinical position because I really want to do a podcast and a course around supporting women who are navigating the challenges of aging parents. Um, and I, my spin on it, my specific interest is not so much in telling people what they should do or shouldn't do. It's allowing a conversation about boundaries, about, you know, constraints of, we only have so much time, so much money, so much energy. And how do women that are balancing a career and parents and maybe children or grandchildren, how are they making these decisions in 2023? Um, and so more of an exploratory, there's a lot of resources out there for caregiving that sort of have this tone of um, you have to, you should, you know, here's the maximum you can do. And, and they don't really have like a, I'm kind of the balance to that of uh, okay, hearing good. people's stories. Um, what did, uh, how did they make these decisions? How do they feel about it? Um, uh, how is it if, if, if the, you know, support has passed, um, how do you feel now? Um, and I've gotten some super interesting answers. I'm also an anthropologist by training. Wow. Um, so half of it's more just that kind of anthropology approach of, uh -huh. you know, women in 2023 are very different than women in 1973. Um, and I want to update sort of how the, the cultural and social understandings of how and when women are showing up for elderly persons in their life. So I know it's a long explanation, um, but my the gist of it's going to be a podcast because that's how I consume most of my information right now. And um, and it's going to be me talking to women, exploring, not not fixing, not, you know, problem solving um, but getting those stories out there so we can start to think about this. Like if women start talking about it 
then maybe we'll come up with something, a different construct than the current one, which has actually a lot of shame and a lot of uh, other other emotions wrapped up in what yeah. we can and can't do for other people. Um, so as a derivative of that, I will, I have a course I've already written. I haven't published it yet. Um, but the re the way I want to support my, myself doing this is to have a, a podcast and then the people that want to learn more, I'll have a whole course laid out. So anyway, that was a long explanation. Okay. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Um, and I finally got the courage to, to basically cut my job back and start doing it for, okay. So it's, it's your dad. So tell me about that. So you said, what year was it that you decided he needed more help? 2016. So I came back from Australia in October of 2016. And um, so I, I don't know. And so okay. what was it about? What, what, if you don't mind sharing, um, what was it about him? Did you hear something in his voice that you thought he needed help? Did a doctor tell you he needed help? Um, like what signaled to you, hey, dad needs a little more support. What actually happened? So he had had a couple of falls. Okay. He would, he was, so he was going through this series of just falling um, and had broken his leg. At the time he was living with, and again, it was in, um, always in his home, my parents' home, but my mom passed away in 2007 and he had been living with his girlfriend. She had moved into the house. And um, um, when I got there, um, he shared with me that um, the two of them had decided to sell his house and move into something smaller so that there wasn't so much to maintain. He had a very large yard, big garden, all that kind of stuff. And I was, I was very surprised, but very supportive, right? If that, that's what they wanted to do, then great. And, and I, I remember this so very clearly how this transpired. I arrived late on a Monday he told me that very first thing Tuesday morning. And on Wednesday, she, this, the, the, the female friend, the girlfriend shared that she had purchased a home and was moving. Away from and, him. Yes. And he, he, it's completely took him by surprise. So it was a breakup. Well, they ended up moving out together. So they trained. So she moved out. He moved out shortly after that. He moved in with her shortly after that. My brother and I moved the furniture that he wanted and all that kind of stuff. And um, I had decided that um, I, I, I didn't really trust the situation, really what was going on. And I don't, I didn't really feel that he was in good health again this whole falling thing we didn't really know why he was falling and all of this i just decided i was going to stay um at least for a while and that i would stay in the home right in my parents home i would that's where i would live since he had moved out and all of that and within two weeks um she broke up with him for real mm. and he was back in the house and again, it was very, it was very hard for him. He, even though he wasn't a, never was a big communicator, right? He wasn't a, the kind of man that shared his feelings, but it was very hurtful 
for him. Sure. And, um, and so he moved back into the home and, um, and I, it was just kind of a decision that, that I was staying and I was going to take care of him that just kind of happened, right? It wasn't really even something that was planned for or, um, you know, it, ju it just was kind of what I was going to do, right? It was just, um, and it all happened within probably a, an eight week period of time. By the time I got there, the move out, the move back, all of that kind of thing happened. And I had also, because he was going to sell the house and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and move out, I had started going through cleaning out closets and things. My parents lived in that house for more than 40 years, right? So I had started the process of now going through closets and, you know, what are we going to do for, you know, what are we keeping? You know, what are we going to sell? Who, you know, what are we going to do with all this other stuff? So then I started that long exercise of trying to clean out the house as well. So do you, do you have any, you mentioned a, do you have a, a sibling or how many siblings do you have? I have one younger brother. One he younger does, brother. He lives in this area as well. And yeah. so how was it decided that you'd be the one to live there? Did the younger brother have something else or like, was that discussed? Is it just a, assumed or how did that happen? It was kind of assumed. So he has a family, he has three okay. kids. Right. And I don't have a family and, um, you know, and I guess, so I, I guess it kind of also default defaults a bit to the woman, right. To the, being the caregivers, right. Jalen maybe shared a little bit about that in her situation as well. Right. Our brothers have both shared, thank God uh, we had you because we couldn't have done what y'all did. Right. My, me with my father and and she with you know with her mom um so it was kind of that as well default I'm the one that's available and I'm more of a caregiver he wouldn't have been able to move in or any of those kinds of things so um and he was very supportive right um he, he was very he was hands-off for sure but if I needed anything of course he was right there can we, can we unpack that a little bit? Because I'm really fascinated with um, the family decision-making for this. And a lot of times it's not overt, like there's not a meeting where somebody says, you know, you're going to move in and take care of dad. Mm -hmm. But when you say that your brother felt like he couldn't have done what you did, if we get really clear on the verbiage, mm -hmm. is it that he, he wasn't physically able to do it? He wasn't emotionally able to do it. Um, like if you didn't exist, what, what do you think would have happened? That is a great question. If I didn't exist, what do I think would have happened? Um, I warned you about these second order questions, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, but it's good. So I, I guess if I had to, my expectation is that my dad would have lived alone. Um, and, you know, my brother would have stopped in, right? And, but my father's quality of life and his length of life would have been less. 
and again, I'm not saying that is a, a anything wrong, you know, that my brother would have done anything to harm him or, you know, anything like that or neglect him. But again, my brother would not have moved in. My father would have lived alone until, you know, he couldn't. And then he would have moved in probably into an assisted living situation, which ultimately happened with with me as well. My dad got sick. Um, so maybe so he, if, if your dad ended up in an assisted living, the timeline might have been a bit different. I guess if your brother was in charge, if that's the right word. Yes. Um, so another thing, and this is actually a phenomenon that I, I notice a lot uh, in my clinical care, um, and I'm not sure if it, it applies in your case, but you moving back home to sort of assist with dad and the other female in the picture exiting is actually not super unusual um, for a lot of different reasons. But do you feel like the timing of the breakup just a few weeks later has anything to do with another sort of, I don't want to use the word caretaker, but another person who can provide care showing up and then the other female sort of feeling, and maybe this is an unfair question, but I just see it so much. I don't know what to call it, but um, there's sort of some people end up staying together because there's this care dynamic and then another caregiver appears somehow. And then one of them leaves somehow. It just is a weird thing. We always, we often see in, in the rehab world. I just wondered your thoughts on that, or if it was just kind of uh, a coincidence. I, I I don't know that it's. So she told me she and I did not care for each other. Um, but she told me the reason that she had decided that she was going to move out, even though whether it was my father's misunderstanding that he was going with her originally, or she had, they had discussed that they were going to move out together into this smaller place or whatever happened there. I, I, I don't know, but she told me that she was leaving because she couldn't take care of him. Oh, he was too. Yeah. And so, you know, again, even though she knew I was coming back to the United States she did not know that I was staying in Boise. That was never discussed because that was not the plan. I was coming here, there, you know, for a week to vacation, see my dad. And then I was on my way again. So I don't know if she designed it to be like that or if that part was a coincidence. Um, but then her ultimate, you know, breakup. Again, I don't know if that was part of the original design or then that became convenient because I was there. Right. Um, can you step us through sort of the timeline of once you arrived back in 2016 and just the arc of his function or decline? Like, uh, you know, did he need increasing amounts of care? Did he have a new event like a stroke or a, a progressive condition like Alzheimer's? Like what what did that look like? I guess. Or is he still living or did he pass away? Passed away. And what year yeah. was that? This, uh, uh, 2020, he did the 2020. Okay. So there was a, a four year period then, uh, in there. What did that look like for you? Like years one through four, was it, um, kind of light the first two years and then suddenly got more demanding or what, what was that like? So, um, there were, there were definitely events again, the falling, right. Mm -hmm. Did continue, um, 
we, um, but he was in care and we knew what the problem was. We ultimately knew what the problem was and we were doing everything we could to kind of mitigate that. He did have an emergency appendectomy. Um, he did part of one of his falls, broke his back. Mm. Um, and then January of 2020, um, he got sick one, he, he, he told me, I, you know, I don't, I don't feel good. I want to go to the emergency room. He couldn't really tell me what was the matter, but of course I took him that day to the emergency room. Um, he ended up having, um, a systemic blood infection, um, almost died in that period of time in that it was like on a Friday morning by Sunday, he was almost dead. My, you know, they're, they're coming to my brother and I going, okay, what, you know, what, what, what's the plan here when he, you know, when he dies, right. We're, we're, we're trying to keep him alive right now, but we don't think it's going to happen. So what's, what's the plan? And we were just like, going, what do you mean? Anyway? So that was mid January of 2020. He came out of that, thankfully, and I can add some additional detail here as, you know, as well, ended up, of course, because he had been so sick in rehab, right? So he has the 100 days or whatever it is that Medicare mm -hmm. will cover um, uh, for rehab and COVID hit, mm. right? Well, yeah. he is in rehab, so we could no longer go see him. He's in this rehab situation, you know, COVID hits. When he gets in, when he, when he was in the hospital, several times over the years when he was in the hospital, definitely when he broke his back and definitely when he had this situation um, where he had this blood infection, he got, I can't remember exactly what the term of it is, but it's kind of like hospital head where he gets dementia. Yeah, like an encephalopathy doesn't know where he's at he or delirium yeah delirium, fantasy world and gets very combative right and because he tries to escape he's not combative because he's angry and he's trying to lash out but he's just trying to escape all the time so he's gets in that so he had still been a little bit in that confusion state still early in rehab right when again when covid hit didn't really understand what was happening why you know so i he had a window. I was just going to the window to communicate with him, whatever. He was in physical therapy, but he wasn't making, so he got to a point where he is no longer making progress with physical therapy and able to walk and all of that. And on a Thursday, they called me and said, okay, by Monday, your dad has to be out of here. Hmm. And um, because he's not making progress and Medicare is going to, you know, kick him out. So I scrambled and found the assisted living place that would take him with the care level that he needed. If I remember correctly, it was a care level three or something along those lines. And, but again, COVID, nobody can visit, nobody can come in, nobody can do anything. They gave my brother and I permission from the door to his apartment to bring in the furniture that we needed to bring in. Um, and then, you know, we had to leave. So here we bring him in to this environment. We're trying to explain to him what's happening. 
I think he conceptually understood, but it was like, that's not what he wanted. You know, why aren't we coming to see him? It was a very, very difficult time. And as I'm sure you know from everybody, right? Everybody's got a, a story about COVID and leaving right. their ones behind somewhere, right? And then in, um, and then when we could go visit him, of course, when things broke a couple of different times, we could go visit. Uh, but in October, well, April, while he. While he's in rehab, he starts to get this spot on the top of his head. I had talked again on, on the phone because you can't go to um, the rehab doctors about what's this thing on his head. At one point in time, they were going to send him to a dermatologist, but that didn't happen. Anyway, by the time I get him in a to um get him out of rehab and into assisted living and i see this thing on his head i get permission to take him to a dermatologist he's got a big cancer mm. oh wow big on the top of his head and i had to have it um you know we had to have it surgically removed and then of course he had to have radiation and so i was taking him from assisted living to get these radiation treatments and all of that. At the same time, I was diagnosed with what ended up being lung cancer. So I had a surgery in June to have part of my, I had a left lobe, lobectomy. So my lower left lobe, lobe lobectomy, whatever that is, um, ended up with stage A1 uh, lung cancer anyway. Then, so I was going through, you know, so there's all that. And then in October, he gets COVID. Oh my goodness. Ends up in the hospital. And he's still in the assisted living by October? Still in assisted living, right? And because he, I, 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 I didn't think I could care for him because he was, He was in a wheelchair pretty much by this time. He wasn't walking. He wasn't stable. And I didn't feel like I wanted to have him back at home because of the, you know, the risk factor. He was a very big man. And um, I just, we just didn't feel like I should bring him home. Now, when you say we, was that you and your father or you and your brother? Brother. You and your yes. brother. And who yeah. did either of you have the medical power of attorney? Yes. Yes, my brother has all of that. Had so he had that. the med so he was making the medical decisions. We were making them together, but he was the one that was officially had the the you know the signature rights to do all do, that. Do you know how, how it was determined it would be him and not you? Is it because you were out of the country a lot? Oh I was gone. traveling. We're always here. So yeah. So he was on the bank accounts and he was all that stuff. And that was stuff that my parents had set up years before and we had discussed it all and it made complete sense. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because he's uh, the one that I wasn't. Did your brother, um, was, was he pretty agreeable to these care decisions? Like it, it sounds like when he went into the assisted living initially, that wasn't at that point, the forever plan. It was just the rehab got cut short and he needed to go back there. Um, did you have a lot of con uh, like contentious conversations? Was there a difference in opinion or were you guys pretty much in agreement moving forward was there did you feel a lot of pressure 
to to do more to try to take him home? So every decision that my brother and his name is David, that every decision that David and I made, we we made it together. We talked about it. Sometimes we talked about it, you know, a hundred times in a hundred different ways with a hundred different scenarios and always landed where we did whatever the decision was uh, together. So mm -hmm. we did. It didn't cause any conflict in our relationship. We were always, you know, we were always pretty much on the same page. I think partially for, I'm, I'm going to say kind of two reasons. I think part of it is because my brother knew that I was taking the bulk of the responsibility, right? And he wasn't going to probably argue much with me about what I thought the best decision was. Um, because he knew that I, again, he, I would either be me coming, he would be coming back with me. I would be going with him, whatever the case might be, but also because I, we're very much aligned in what we wanted to have and what we knew my dad wanted, right? We knew my dad wanted to come home, right? But we also knew for his health, his best care, that that wasn't the right decision. So it wasn't like he was saying, oh, you need to take him home. And I was going, no, I don't want to take him home. It wasn't that at all. How Does did that you handle, yeah, yeah. How did you handle it when your dad, I, I'm sure at one point was like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go home. I want you to take me home. How did you, did you redirect the conversation? Did you tell him that was the safest place? Like, what did that look like? It looked a couple of different ways, uh, Rebecca. Um, so um, deflection was definitely one or redirection, not deflection. Redirection was definitely one, you know, dad, you know, this is again, where you need to be. This is the safest place for you to be. Um, and I guess the the reason I get a little emotional sometimes, which I probably will through this these conversations, is um, there were times when I was frustrated, right? And so I probably didn't redirect as well as. I did other times or maybe as well as I maybe should have. And I would get, you know, I'd get angry about it. Some level of anger, right? It wasn't mean or, or anything like that, but I would get snappy with him about, you know, what do you, what do you want? You know, I can't, you know, you know, we can't come visit, you know, you can't come home where, you know, you can't be in a wheelchair in your home. The, the, you can't even get down the hallway in a wheelchair in your home. You get to the bedroom, you know, the doors aren't wide enough, you know, things like that. So I would probably get, a. there were, there were times when I was a little bit frustrated and cranky. Were you frustrated with him or were you frustrated with just with the situation or yourself or wh where was that coming from? I'm going to say maybe all, maybe all three. Yeah. Um, I'm. Oh, probably in 2019, maybe. 
I started to see a, a, a therapist trying to unpack my emotions because even though it was, I, I, I never questioned what I was, what I was doing, that I'd made the decision to be there and to be there with my dad. And I had, and I was fully transparent about that. I was going to be there until the end, right. Mm -hmm. Until I wasn't needed there anymore. Um, but I didn't expect to be as unhappy about it as I was. So what do you mean about the, the physical demand or the, and again, if we need to take a break or this is too much, let me know that, but this is why we're talking, right? Because I feel like this is right underneath all of these very first, like, you know, superficial conversations. Oh, it's yeah. so good of you to take care of your dad. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Do yeah. you have any clue what that means? And it goes back to this decision matrix of, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be there till the end. And a lot of people get there and it's out of love. It's out of, you know, it's out of, well, we can, that's a whole other podcast too, but, but, um, I'm not sure that women quite know what they're committing to sometimes when they kind of step in and take this on, it can be an extremely disruptive and taxing thing to do. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, you can't do it. You won't do it. Um, I just want to make sure we're telling each other what that looks like. Because um, it is a big deal. So um, when you say kind of processing, you know, so maybe some negative emotions about him living there, what was the crux of that? What were the the thoughts that were the most distressing? I think it was, um, you know, the One of the things that I that I that the therapist helped me come to is the fact that even though I, I I didn't have to be happy about it, right? It was okay not to be happy about the situation because again the situation was hard, right? So it was so I felt I I, I felt trapped right every single you know it was you know, even down to the point that every night we watched the exact same tv programs right i've seen every gun smoke episode <laughs> you know um and you know so it wasn't like i even at nighttime after work and after you know making sure he had it you know i cooked right i never cooked for myself, but I, I cooked meals. And if I was going to have to travel for work, right. I had every like, three meals a day in the freezer labeled on a list. So he knew exactly what he was going to be eating for, you know, days, but, you know, so it wasn't even that I got to, um, not cook dinner one night, you know, we never had popcorn or scrambled eggs for dinner, which is what I would have fed myself. Right. Um, you know, or, you know, watch TV program that I wanted to watch or, um, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and when I say that out loud, I think it sounds petty, but when you're doing it month after month after month and year after year, it is, 
it's 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 taxing. I, and I and I have told many people this along the way. I I don't know how in the world women that live have to work outside the home that have a husband and kids how they would ever how they how they ever do it. It is it's an it's it's it was it was it's hard. It is just hard. And then you've got the things like you know, then we could we could probably have a whole podcast on the incontinence aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There's that. And, you know, navigating that with your father, right. Take, you know, clean, cleaning, doing all the things that you do, right. That you have to do. Um, and there's, there's that. And I, going back to my comment about my, the, you know, Jalen's brother and my brother going, we could never do what you girls did, right? They could not have ever dealt with the incontinence aspect of it, let, let alone anything else, right? My brother you say, couldn't... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, my brother witnessed one time only. I, there were so many times I didn't ever even tell him about because I didn't want to maybe I didn't want to talk about it. Maybe I didn't want to, you know, impact my dad's dignity. Maybe I didn't, you know, my brother just didn't even maybe want to know, but he had to witness me one time cleaning up um, a situation. Uh, We had people at the house. My dad had, had lost his bowel control and I'm doing this cleanup situation. And my brother's just like going, Oh my God, you know, you are so strong. I don't know how you're doing this. I don't know how you do it. I could never do it. Right. So being that intimate with my father, right. You know, I'm, you know, which is something that, you know, your parents are that intimate with you when you're a baby. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But that's something that you, that that you think about that you have to be that intimate with your father when you were your can, this is a, a really common topic, and I want to see if, if we can dive a little bit deeper into your brother saying, I could never do that, because <laughs> it's not true. It's not true that they physically aren't able to do it, right? Correct. They, they have arms and legs and eyes and cleaning supplies, right? And so I'm trying to to dig down into... So they know, we know they can physically do it. They can cognitively do it. Usually what they mean is I can't emotionally perform that task for this person. Mm-hmm. And of course, the next thought is, but I'm so glad you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to get your, your, like, if, if we just stepped away from this, um, you're, you're a career professional woman. And just this dynamic, and it sets up over and over again, you know, what are, if we can get above that and think about that kind of a sentiment and the acceptance of that, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there should be an argument or there is a, a right way, but I'm super interested in this dynamic and it sets up over and over again, which is there's an unsavory task, right? Usually something involving manual labor, unpleasant sensory experiences, unpleasant emotional experiences, and women are extremely adept at, at handling those. And the language around that is, I'm so glad you're so strong, you can do that. But really, if you look at it a different way, it's 
that there are other individuals involved in the care of that person that are refusing to do so for reasons that are understandable, it's emotionally uncomfortable, but how do we have this, this dynamic setting up over and over again with these unsavory caretaking tasks? And that like, how does your brain react to that statement? Um, I'm so glad you do this. Uh, you know, that would be really hard for me. I, there's no way I could possibly do that. Does your brain accept that statement as true? Does it say, you know what? I love my brother too. So I'm doing this to protect my dad and my brother. Does your, does a, does a center part of your brain, the, the feminine part of your brain say, wait a minute, like, you know, what, this isn't pleasant for me. I like, can we just all agree that it's an unpleasant experience and like, how do you, and again, I don't, I'm not saying there's a right answer, but I'm really interested because this sets up over and over again in these stories. And I, I'd like to know how your brain processes that, that exact situation. I don't know if that, at least for me, that there's that much thought that goes into it. Right. So I would think it would probably be in the category of, you know, trying to protect my father and my brother. Right. I'm here. I'll do it. Right. It's not, uh, you know, it's it, it's totally unpleasant, but I've already been here, done this before. So it just makes sense that I'm here and I'm doing it again. Right. And so. I think, but the other area of that would be is if I was going to, if I was there and my brother was there and I needed, and I wanted to push the task off on him, that that would have just added more stress on me to have that you know, conflict, whether it was a small conflict or a big conflict, because it was already such an emotional situation Sure. that I would just as soon skip it and just do it. So the conflict would have been with your brother saying, or you mean just the handing off of the task, like the how? Yeah. Hey, I'm not doing this this time. I've done it a bunch of times before. Here's the cleaning supplies. You go do it. And he'd go, I'm not doing it. Right? Oh, yeah. so the conflict wouldn't be I, the how, it's the I won't. Yes. The conflict yeah. wouldn't be, okay, I'd be happy to step in and do it. Can you teach me? Which a person who's ostensibly a father and has cleaned up many, many toddler and baby messes in their life, maybe, or any other messes, it, it's not rocket science, right? So the conflict would have been, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I think so for myself, it would have been a protection and then an, an avoidance of any conflict to get it done by somebody else. And did you ever have a conversation with your dad? I don't know cognitively if he would be able to have that conversation about personal hygiene care. Was there ever a, the first time it happened? Hey, dad, are you okay if I, you know, help you clean this up? Or was it, is it like you said, just sort of, you just new thing, new challenges keep coming up and you just keep moving forward. And there wasn't really an, a discussion about that, or he just knew he needed help or did, did y'all ever have kind of the privacy discussion? Never had the privacy discussion. Uh, the first time it happened, we were in public and 
so the first time it happened, it was, we were in public, but we were outside and then my father steps in it and then he tries to clean it up and he's shaking. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, you know, and I, and I, I'm kind of like it, it and it's kind of happens kind of in a quick success I was actually sitting in the car on a on a work telephone and I'm witnessing this thing happen and I you know I closed my call and I jumped into action and I just said you know just stop 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 right because again he's just trying you know it's just it, it, it's just <laughs> it was just a disaster and then I so I just said just stop and let me just take care of it and um and that and that and that was that time other times and uh, I could relive one situation that was just I'm sure mortifying for him but since he wasn't a big communicator he we never really, we never talked about it, right? We never talked about it. The only time there was ever any conversation is he said, are you mad at me? And I said, I am absolutely not mad at you. But I said, it is a very stressful situation. Do you um, mean that in general or just about the incontinence? I think just, well, when he said it like that, it was, um, after we'd had one of these incontinent situations and I was, had been cleaning up and everything. And he said, are you mad at me? And I said, absolutely not. I said, but it's, it's a special situation, but he never said, don't touch me. He never said, you know, anything. Right. And I never, and I don't recall ever asking if I could either. And just to, just to overshare. So I have a, a similar, I have three brothers and one of them, uh, my dad has a heart condition. So we'll bring my dad to the hospital, call me on the way and he'll leave the hospital immediately. And I finally interviewed him recently. And I said, why do you always leave when I get there? And he said, I can't see my dad in a hospital gown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed. Of course, this isn't my thing. And I was yeah. like, His you dad. can't. He's like, I can't see him. And I said, of course you can. I mean, your eyeballs and your visual cortex can see our dad. In a... And so it's just really fascinating. Uh, but in anyway, so I have a couple other questions and I want to be respectful. We have a, a, a stop in 12 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. You're going to get back to work. Um, uh, in a, um, when you were growing up, and this seems to be a big, interesting component to this as well. Um, what was your relationship like with your dad? Did it, did it kind of run towards the side of he's my hero, I'll do anything for him. And that would give you fuel and energy through the most difficult times. And the other side of the spectrum is I couldn't stand him. Um, I really don't think he was there for me, but I'm the type of person that's going to be there for him because I'm the daughter. Like what, where were you kind of in those, in that spectrum? I loved my dad. Um, I was my, you know, always adored my dad. Um, I always, you know, my mom and dad's relationship was not an easy one. And I always felt I was kind of, I tried to be his 
protectors, his defender from my mom sometimes. Um, but I will tell you that one of the things that I, um, that was hard for me is that taking care of him, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna say change that. Not that it changed my love for him, but it definitely changed I, I think it changed our dynamic and that was very hard as well. How would um it that I call them like fueling thoughts. So what thoughts did you have that occurred to you that kept you going through the hardest times? Was it I love my dad or I want to be a good daughter? Did you did you even have time to recognize what the thoughts were? But what were your kind of like usually we have a little toolbox with thoughts that you know, keep us going and we try to avoid conflict or thoughts that might make us question what's happening. Did you have a couple of go-tos that just kept you engaged? I'm probably, I would say that I guess it probably would have to fall into the I'm trying to think here. I really, I, I guess it's really just about, I, I was committed to taking care of him. I was, it was the commitment, right? Um, it, you know, whether that's a good daughter or I love my dad, you know, There wasn't an option. I mean, I guess technically there was, but emotionally there wasn't an option for me to leave, right? Walk out and leave him. What would you have uh, thought if you did? What would I have thought? Yeah. What, what would have been the emotional consequence of, you know what, this is too much for me or my job needs me. Um, I can't do this anymore. I would have failed. I, I, I would have thought I, I, had, I would have failed that I wasn't and, and and probably the failure would have been on a few different levels. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't. That I would have failed in those, you know, in. Would that have meant that I didn't love my dad enough um, and that there would have been a failure because I was impacting then my dad's life because that would have meant that he would have had to go into some kind of a care situation, right? Because over those four years, you know, I've shared a few different, you know, episodes. And so, you know, his health continued and his mobility continued to decline, right? So, he would have, you know, I would have had, I would have failed him in enabling him to stay in his home as long as we did. I, I, I do think that I helped him stay alive and um, again in his home much longer than if I hadn't have been there. Did you feel like uh, any pressure on yourself to modify the home, have a caretaker in the home, 
Did he bring that up? Did, what what made that option sort of untenable or unsafe or moving to a different type of home, that, something like that? We never discussed, never really even contemplated. I bought a home. So even though I was living with my father, I did buy a home in Boise. And, and I actually bought that home in, in early in 2017. And um, number one, I found the home that I loved. And it's the home that I'm in now. And so even though I knew that it was going to sit empty or I wasn't going to live in it, I didn't really know how long that was going to be. Right. So. Um, um, but there wasn't. And, and I guess there was an opportunity, I guess I could have brought my dad into my home, um, but there were stairs and some things that ended up probably is so ended up not being a safe situation. So there wasn't really any conversation about us moving into a different home that would have enabled a wheelchair or things like yeah. that. Um, never talked about bringing in a caregiver because there wasn't really um I don't really think that there was a situation for a caregiver, right? There was other than, you know, I, I had a housekeeper, right? So I, I, I probably early on first eight months or something, I finally said, okay, I've got to have somebody come and clean this house. I've got to offload that anyway. Yeah. Right. And so I had a housekeeper come, um, but again, making meals or, you know, running into the doctor or doing the grocery shopping or, you know, just being there with him wasn't something to offload really, in my opinion. So it didn't talk really about that. Now I do, I, I do want to add one thing here and I know you we've, since we've only got the last five minutes, I want to go back to the end of his life. Right. Cause I'm, I'm not sure where we're going to go from here, but I want to go back to the end of his life. So I told you that in October he got COVID right so starting in january between hospital rehab assistance assisted living and then back in october um back in the hospital with covid um and again couldn't go see him he gets he gets over covid while he's in the hospital he didn't die of covid he just died because of covid so he gets out of the he gets out of ICU and he gets back into a general bed, and they would they allowed one of us to come every day. We couldn't have two people a day. One person could come every day. So my brother and I took turns. And this whole dementia situation that he would get into in the past, you know, even though it would be days and there were time and he would get. Um, you know, what, when you can't swallow, aspirate, he would aspirate yeah. and all these kind of things. Um, we could get him through that to a point that he could get healthy again. But in that time frame in October, we just couldn't get his mental health back to where he could participate in trying to um, eat without aspirating or physical therapy or any of those things. We put him on a feeding tube and trying to again give him the nourishment as we were trying to get his mind back to being in more reality so he could help participate in his care and finally the doctors and um everyone 
um, convinced my brother and I that we needed to move to hospice. But again, because of COVID, there wasn't an, you know, so trying to find number one, a place for hospice, right? Finding a bed or a, a place. And then we, even if we would have found one, we couldn't have gone to visit. I wasn't going to wheel my father up to a door and push him inside and let him go die. So I brought him to my home. Okay. And, um, and we didn't know at that time how long it was going to be. Right? right. So my brother sat down and we'd figured out, okay, this is how much it's going to cost. Cause I did at that point in time, bring in 24 hour care because I was just, I, I, I just emotionally couldn't do hospice changing his diaper sure. all that yeah. I just I, I just didn't want to have to deal with all of that so you know so we did have 24-hour care come in um and so my brother and I had figured out how we were going to cover all the expenses with my dad's money and how long that was going to last and you know what do we do when the money runs out well I guess we'll figure that out when the time comes right so he he didn't he didn't last a week right okay. once I brought house he had, he he passed quickly we thought it would be a while but anyway that was another time my brother said you can't take him you can't take him home I said hell if I can't take him home hmm. right absolutely can't take him home I said and you're coming with me right so you need to be there that was Thanksgiving he came on a Tuesday before Thanksgiving and yeah my brother and his kids and they came and you know and they were there and until that Monday after Thanksgiving that my dad, that my dad passed. Um, so we were there all together for that whole weekend. Um, anyway, I just wanted you to have that piece of the story. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And um, these are such complex conversations. Sometimes we, we don't ever circle back and I appreciate you sharing that. And overall, I thank you so much for sharing with me. We've been through so many different topics in this short time and I think it really does help people. And I just appreciate you being open and willing to talk about these really hard things. Um, and I hope other people can learn from them and carry on the conversation. I just really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Um, if you want to have another conversation, um, I'm happy to just let me know. I do have another person that you, that may, you may be interested in talking about, but it's, uh, wasn't with her. It, it was a, a friend of mine and her father-in-law. Oh, sure. You know, it's any, mm -hmm. any usually older person, not usually like a disabled child or something, but yes, yeah. any older person. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. I'll send you her information. I'll talk to her first, but let's see sure. if she's interested and then we'll go, I'll send it to her, you if she is. Okay. And I'll send you the transcript okay. too. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. All righty. Take care. Hey everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you really enjoyed the podcast. I am here to let you know I can be found on RebeccaTapiaMD.com. You can come over there to learn about my new course launching this summer, dealing with mindset for aging parents, getting prepared, all the good stuff, sharing my opinions and life lessons. Uh, also could just join my email list so I can share more about my thoughts about these podcasts and more insights there. Thank you so much for being here.